out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Dream City Film Club because I recently spoke to Michael J. Sheehy about life, love, poetry and all that other kind of groovy stuff, as I always say. I know, I'm so predictable. Anyway, this is the interview and um, yes, after a bit of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the 80s. I know, just for a change, check me out. Anyway, because Dream City Film Club are a bit more of a 90s band, I was curious to know what, uh, yes, what Michael was listening to during that golden decade that was the 80s. Michael, it's over to you. I was a teenager. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. I was thinking about it actually last night because funnily enough that the whole thing was Bill Withers dying. And uh, I was, uh, I, I remember just posting something about buying his greatest hits when I was a teenager. I was probably about 14, 14 or 15. And it was one of the first records I ever bought. Um, um outside of Elvis Presley because I was an, an absolute Elvis nut when I was a kid. Um, so I bought loads of Elvis records and I never really bought any by anybody else. But that Bill Withers' Greatest Hits was one of the first things I did buy by somebody else. Um, so, yeah, so I was I was kind of behind the curve as a kid. I was really <laughs> listening to the, uh, the, the current sounds. I think during the 80s, the, the, the two people that I did listen to at the time were probably Prince and Michael Jackson, and that that was it, really. I, I wasn't that interested in most of what was going on. Right. Um, retrospectively, it's different. I kind of look back, and there was a lot of music that I missed at the time. Um, but, yeah, when I was a kid, I mean, you know, I would, I would say I was probably deeply uncool and, and very, yeah, just, just like things that were somewhat older i suppose than than um than what what was you know the other kids were listening to yes um yeah so yes you miss you miss the indie pop world and then grunge and rain yeah and and, and yeah. everything oh that's fantastic <laughs> i have to say because um yeah most, i most... Sort of started to catch up towards the end of the 80s i think right i think once i'd kind of you know you start getting a little bit more independent don't you you sort of leave you know you're, you're, you're sneaking out of home a bit more um and I, I probably left home when it was probably about 1990, so I was about 18. But um, yeah, so I kind of caught caught the, the the beginning of things like grunge and was into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of stuff from the 80s just passed me by, and then which was nice though. Later on, I kind of had this, you know, voyage of discovery, and I started to find bands like The Fall and Sweet Youth. Yeah, um, you know stuff like that, and uh, and that was like, oh wow, this is great. You know, uh, how did how did I miss this? But yeah, it was, it was because I was yeah. kind of yeah buried in a different world. Really. You were you were listening to off the wall and bad and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. but then you know, I have to say, my one of, I think one of the best years of music ever was nineteen eighty seven, and that was the year that Prince brought out Sign of the Times. Yeah, that was this great album. I mean, I went to see the. Um, they did a concert film of that. Um, and I remember he didn't tour. He didn't tour tour sign of the times in the UK because I think what happened was he booked Wembley Stadium to play, and couldn't sell it. 
uh, couldn't sell it out. Um, so they pulled the show and they made up some excuse about uh, British weather. And, <laughs> and um, but the, the concert film ran at the Dominion Theatre in London for uh, quite a few weeks, probably two months. And I, I think I went to see it about eight times and <laughs> dragged people along. And yes. uh, yeah, I was absolutely obsessed with it. It was just such a, a an eye-opening uh, film and, and just, I mean, it's just a ridiculous talent, really. Yeah, so did you watch his, the, the famous film in the mid-80s, which was the one with uh, When Doves Cry? Which yeah, Purple Rain and Purple all that. Rain. Yeah, 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 so there was that. Because yeah, bizarrely, when I, he first appeared, you know, I thought, oh, this is this is an awful <laughs> disaster. But then, yeah. you know, it was Sign of the Times that really changed it. And then I got into Love Sexy and I saw that tour and then I went to see the other two tours after that. Uh, yeah, one in London, one in Birmingham. So I got a bit obsessed, and then it was like another triple album came out, and I thought, mm, perhaps, perhaps I'm not, I'm not yeah. such a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think like Love Sexy was was sort of pinnacle, really. I think, I think that was the thing. Is it? It's Simon Times Love Sexy. It's like, wow, he's really, you know, doing great things. And then I think after that, it was very very hard for him to maintain any kind of especially recorded wise and i don't think he had much of a filter no he didn't after just... that it, it seemed like there was just you know too too much stuff and, it, and and there was some great real gems amongst everything that came out afterwards but you really have to dig for some of it you know um well there's it, an album called it, emancipation there's one track called the river which i have to say that is like yeah. six minutes it's amazing but yeah. I don't know how I found it because I didn't. I don't know the rest of the album, but I sort of know that one song really well. Which is cool. Yeah. But again, you know, you skip most of it. So look, when did you yeah, start? That... Play, so when did you start sort of thinking I want to be a musician? Oh, probably when I was a kid. Probably, probably around the time of yeah, things like seeing those 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 that Prince film and things like that. Um, that that was. I mean, you know, but even earlier than that, really, I suppose it was just from from watching Elvis movies as a kid, you know. Um, and just see, seeing those films and just thinking, wow, you know, this is so cool, you know, and uh, and just yeah, just dreaming about learning to play the guitar and getting hold of one and all of that kind of thing, you know. So yeah, so it was all all rooted around that really, um, and uh, yeah. So when you um, when so when you were listening and probably playing along to Prince songs, how did you yeah. start to sort of develop a band which was quite. You wouldn't sort of, it's a bit like when I, because I was a bit obsessed with the Smiths and, you know, thinking, yeah. I have no idea what Johnny Marr must have listened to as a kid. Some bands, you kind yeah. of like with Oasis, you kind of go, God, I could imagine their record collection with some people you can't. And and your band, again, that was a little bit of yeah. a tricky one where, you know, where it all came from and how yeah. it developed the sound and, and, and the trademark. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it, it became later for me that, that um, I suppose, around... You know, shortly after, you know, getting into things like Prince and stuff. So, yeah, I guess when I was about, you know, between the ages of 18 and, I don't know, 22, there was other other music started to sort of come into my life, like Bowie and uh, and then uh, the Stooges and, and things like that, Lou Reed and then Nick Cave and the birthday party um, were... were became a huge thing and that and these are all things i came to quite late you know i mean they're, they're obviously the, the the you know people like bowie the, their best days were behind them i guess you know and um but it was just to me hearing hearing that stuff from the 70s was just like a real you know wow you know just hearing this stuff so i think a lot of that 
those bands that I just mentioned were probably much more of an influence on on that particular band on Dream City Film Club when we started um, and on me in particular I think Prince was still in there somewhere but definitely with the whole sort of perverse nature of what we did <laughs> I think a lot of that came from my Prince obsessions um, but yeah I mean but yeah definitely those other bands then fed into that and I guess as well what the other guys in the band were bringing to it as well so there were things like I suppose elements of of the fall and things that that were there um that they were bringing to the table um <clears throat> so it was a yeah just a, a different yeah different palette i suppose than what than what i i listened to as a teenager yes because because interestingly most most people i've interviewed especially in the 80s they do have this kind of quite amazing the five-year narrative you've got quite a similar one haven't you you've got a sort yeah. of Almost a five year. Um, yeah, so so sort of, I suppose in the 80s, there was a lot of unemployment in the early period. And, and you know, like, yeah. so a lot of people were just un- unemployed and formed bands. This is kind of quite simplistic, but, you know, kind of created a sound, you know, a single came out, John Peel played it, then the John Peel session, and things started to develop. Because in those days, and I suppose the 90s were the same, you know, you had certain gatekeepers, didn't you, who were, you know, a play on John Peel or mentioned in yeah. NME, and you had a massive audience. Now you can get played on... I don't know, Radio Norfolk, and the only people listen to it are either 80 or, or the members of the band, but you don't get that yeah. kind of like NME had yeah. like a circulation of 100,000. So That's obviously right. you and then Melody Maker, I think Sounds had gone and Record Mirror. So, so, so what was that? So when the band got together, did it feel, you know, with the five of you, did it feel like you had a solid kind of base and a sort of a, a vision of where you wanted to take it? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of the way it came together was we, we I, I was um i was doing solo stuff at the time and uh, i was being booked regularly at the bull and gate in kentish town which is kind of where i grew up um and uh that that pub in particular i was going there anyway um you know just uh occasionally to see gigs but also just as a regular sort of punter and um the uh, the guys who were booking it just asked me one day that you know uh, one of them was a drummer and the other one was a guitar player that was uh, Alex and Lawrence and they basically said look you know we would you be interested in starting a band with us you know and um, you know primarily you would be the songwriter and you know we can maybe work on some stuff together as well and and go from there and um, and that was kind of how it came together. Um, uh, we, we we just worked that way, so it was it was fairly, I don't know, just kind of organic, really, I guess. And um, and then we got the bass player Andrew got involved, um, and he brought something else to it as well. Um, yeah, so so it was just, uh, um, yeah, you know, that was how it came together, really. And and I don't know if we had any kind of real agenda. I mean, I certainly didn't really. I just kind of was glad to to be playing with people again, you know, because, uh, I mean, the last time I played stuff was with um, my brother um, and uh, one of our uh, school uh, school friends who we grew up with. Um, and we'd had a band for a while, but that kind of fizzled out. Um, uh, so I kind of done, done stuff on my own for a while. And, yeah, so it was quite nice to just, you know, play with people again and have people to bounce off of, really, for me. Yes. Um, um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we ever figured 
it would it would go anywhere but but people seemed to like it it was a little bit out of step with a lot of what was going on at the time yeah i guess it um, was because so going yeah. back to the bull and gate because that's that's such an iconic place and for yeah. somebody who's an outsider like me you kind of think that it must have been the vibe on the street was just buzzing did it did it have a kind of a, a like a, a feel like a scene like it could have been san francisco in the 60s or the studio 54 or whatever number it is not um, not to not to us because i mean i mean because it was it was kind of you know we we you know there were some great gigs there and there were some you know some some special kind of nights the weird thing with the bull and gate was because it was kentish town as well it was it was sort of up the road and it was sort of separate from camden and that scene that was going on down there, even though people in their minds used to lump them together, but in a weird sort of way, the Bull and Gate felt like it wasn't quite as prestigious, say, as the Dublin Castle or or the, um, you know, like the Good Mixer pub was this sort of hangout for, for a gang as well down there, you know. So there were all those places in Camden. So Bull and Gate felt a little bit separate from that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it was funny. I mean, I remember working the door one night because um, I used to do that regularly as well. And um, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was a Shed 7 gig. They were doing a, a very... Ex- it was after they would sort of just became fairly well known and they were doing a show there. And um, uh, yeah, and I remember working the door on that and just, it, you know, the place was heaving. It was, you know, there was loads of... Um, indie kids there and stuff like that and, and I can't remember whether they did it there because that was where they got signed and they were just trying to do some kind of thing I, I really don't remember I wasn't really a huge fan of the band to be honest so you had gigs like that that were memorable because they were sort of you know industry type things I guess but then there were other shows that were much less well attended but were really remarkable because they were sort of almost like performance art you know <laughs> they were sort of really out there there was a band called infected that we we were massive fans of um who played at the bull and gate regularly and though their, their shows to us were just events they were just they weren't like you know there weren't hundreds of people there but you know the people that were there were really kind of like wow that i've just seen something truly remarkable i've just you know seen a great great show and there were a few like that those are the ones that stand out in my mind um from that time but they weren't necessarily being written about in in the enemy or, or melody maker or whatever you know that they, they were they were the real outsider bands you know that 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 you know, really didn't get a look in, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, in, interesting. But then there were other bands like, you know, it's funny, I've, I've just recently um, got back in touch with um, uh, Darren Heyman, who was the singer in a band called Hefner from that time. Oh, yes, Hefner, yes. Yeah, and um, they uh, they got signed to Two Pure around the same time that Dream City got filmed, uh, signed to um, uh, Beggar's Banquet, uh, which were all really part of the same uh, umbrella group, the Beggar's Group, you know. So it was, um, so yeah, and I, I did quite, uh, you know, I think I did at least two shows with Hefner, but I think that was probably as a solo act. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, and it's been really nice to talk to Darren again. And, and you know, he's gone on to, you know, he, he's really made a career out of this for himself and is, is um, 
you know, he, he he's still, you know, um, putting out records, lots of records. I think he's he's probably released more records in the fall I mean, <laughs> since uh, those days, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the slightly different, you know, trajectory than Dream City Film Club in terms of like, I mean, we did we did a couple of peel sessions and and released a couple of records and stuff like that with beggars. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we just weren't able to, to stick it out really. I think that's the whole thing is, is there's a lot to be said for staying together when you're in a band, but yes, you can't, this is true. it's yes. just not going to happen. And, um, that was, that was, that was the thing is ultimately we, we almost started picking ourselves apart as soon as we got signed really. Um, I always think it's sort of remarkable that we managed to make as much music as we did. Yeah, um, given the the personalities involved, you know. Excellent. Um, so when so with that, because there were in the nineties, because I remember, you know, obviously there's the obvious thing, but there was those kind of wonderful shine compilations that came out every month, yeah. actually. And then, like you mentioned, there was Hefner, and there was a whole load load of other bands that. Um, Yes, I suppose there was the Tindersticks and Divine Comedy who were making some sort of quite interesting yeah. sounds. And then you had that orchestral stuff like My Life Story as well, didn't you, with Jake yeah. Shillingford? Yeah. So you, you sort of obviously have nothing like that at all. But did you, because yeah. on Beggars, it was quite, because two, two pure records, they had people like the Faith Healers, didn't they? And that was yeah. much more of a, I remember there was another band from yeah. North London called Silverfish who made quite a noise as well. Oh, yeah, they were brilliant. So yeah. that yeah. that was love quite... It. Love their... Um their, their uh, album, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so I think there was one called Fat, yeah. Fat Axel or something like that. And, uh, right. I just, uh, yes, I remember seeing them supporting My Bloody Valentine. So obviously when, yeah. when, when you came along and then sort of you got that John Peel session, that must have felt like a real sort of a blessing from the Pope, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody, everybody, I guess, who was playing down the Bull and Gate, et cetera, you know, and those, those, all those bands, you know, it was, it was like, yeah, if we get a peel session, we're, we're doing all right, you know? <laughs> and, and that was the thing. I remember saying this to somebody the other day about how the music industry has changed, you know, and I said, yeah, you know, the, 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 back in the day, you know, you could basically, you'd get a, a peel session, you'd get a mauling probably from the enemy, <laughs> you know, for whatever you'd done, whether it was a live gig or a single or whatever. And we, we, you know, we, we got a few, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, we, John Peel liked us, but the press really didn't, you know, I mean, we, it, I mean, some elements of the press did and others didn't. So it's was, it was that thing where, where we polarized people a bit. Um, but even despite that, and that was all you had, that was basically, there was nothing else, you know, we weren't, you know, we rarely got a video shown on what was that MTV or um, was it 120 minutes? I think I think we might have got one or two of our videos shown on that, but that was it. You know, and 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 I just remember saying to somebody, yeah, you know, gone are the days where that you know that was the only coverage you got, and then you got you could still sell you know a few thousand copies of your album. Um, you'd kill to sell sell fifteen hundred copies of an album these days, you know. And and that this is you know even acts that we the perception is that they're doing really really well, you know, because you're seeing them all over the internet or you're seeing a lot of you know press or whatever, and they seem to be getting a lot of um, hits on their digital platforms. But you know, 
actually selling records it's it's hard it's really really hard from what i'm hearing from a lot of people you know um and yeah i mean in my sort of recent um you know ventures into music you know and, and releasing records with um my the band miraculous mule and there was another band called united sounds of joy which was actually a collaboration between me and alex who was in dream city film club you know and um we we released uh records um over the past uh, three or four years selling them has been absolutely you know the, the sales have been abysmal you know and um it's been very hard to get a, a foothold you know and, and just let people know that something's out there i think that's the tricky thing yes well I, you yeah know, there's so much there's so much to compete against you know that it, it makes it very very difficult Yes, I can't imagine. Yes, because in the old days, you know, and I suppose, you know, with the indie charts, you know, bands, I might be making it up, but, you know, would sell sort of 40,000 copies of it, you know, like the Smiths, you know, yeah. like those sales now, you just think, my God. Well, yeah, you'd, 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 you'd be laughing, you know, <laughs> it really would. I mean, it's it's incredible. I don't know, you know, how, you know, certain artists keep going or, or you know, what they're, 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 you know, you've got to really be thick-skinned and... and yeah, and have a big airing cupboard to store all your stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose I was, because yeah. the people I was sort of talking to last year, bands who were still a band and they were still trying to make it work, mm. you know, I mean, they're in their 60s now, probably in probably mm. mid-60s at that. We're having to do that thing of touring Europe, you know, like get in the van and do yeah. 30 days in 30, you know, 30 gigs in 30 days going through Europe. Yeah. And obviously realising with Brexit and all that problem that that might be the end. But, you know, both of these different people said, you know, you've got to get into Germany because the German audience will buy your single and some merchandise and you will be able to do it. But you can't have a day off. And when you get to 60, doing 30 gigs in 30 days. But the maths, you know, the maths of kind of booking van equipment and a few other members of staff, it it would just kind of bleed, bleed money. So... Yes, and that, yeah, that's I mean, I've you know because I've done a fair bit of that myself, and it, and and it's it is hard. I mean, one of the other problems that you have as well, of course, is that, is that if you're at a certain level, you can get booked out on the continent, but trying to trying to get a show on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday is really really tough. Yeah. Um, so, and the thing is, you can't afford a day off, as you said, you know. So that's another tricky. A uh, little situation you find you, you, yourself in. It's like, yeah, if you're a well-established, you know, reasonably well-established band, you can probably get shows on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. But you know, the other thing is a lot of small, smaller places, smaller towns. They don't have any shows going on on those days of the week because it's just, it's just not done. You know, people don't go out. So, and then in the bigger towns and cities, you're competing against umpteen other gigs. So it's, yeah, it's tricky. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've done some really soul destroying tours, um, you know, out on, uh, you know, even on the continent where, you know, of course everything's much better than it is here, but, <laughs> but still it's tough you yes. know, it's not it's not for the uh the lily livered no because yes i think that's yes i i sort of go in that that sort of period i suppose is the period that i was particularly going out a lot was that 
on a Monday or Tuesday in Norwich, you'd have the Wild Club, which was kind of the indie club yeah. night. And, you know, so every Monday there was three bands and and mostly they were bands that John Peel had played or might have yeah. been mentioned in the NME. But, you know, for about three pounds, you'd see these bands. But at least the band would be able to come from anywhere in the country and have an audience of two or three hundred people who were really keen yeah. to see them, you know. And yeah. you could kind of guarantee there had been a culture that had been built up, which I hadn't realised until doing this show that, you know, that, oh, yes, those, that, those there was a whole net, you know, there was like the John Peel show, and I keep going on about him, and then the NME, yeah. which did have an influence. But then you had every little, cl- every city, town had a club night, didn't they? An indie club yeah. night. Yeah. You know, whether it was Glasgow, Bristol, you know, Leeds, Birmingham, you know, they, they everyone had one, and Norwich had the Wild Club in this little art centre here, so or church. Yeah. So, you know, and again, for a band, you know, rather than just playing in your your, your neighbourhood in front of the usual people, you, you got a chance to sort of drive yeah. down the motorway and go, blimey, I've never been to Norwich before. What a yeah, funny little yeah. place. So, look, going back, going back to the albums, though, you did yeah. two in quite yeah. quick succession. So, obviously, was the first one, which was self-titled, yeah. was that the honeymoon period? Did it sort of feel like this is this is a life's work and what could go wrong? Yeah, um, even that first one was, was pretty fraught. I mean, um, I remember... Um, I mean, you know, didn't none of us had really made a record before. So, you know, up to then, it was all about, you know, getting in and recording or, or playing live, you know, and, and any recording we'd done up to that point, that's kind of more or less what we'd done. We'd sort of gone in and tried to do it as live as possible. Um, and uh, so it was kind of weird going in and having to do it you know, the producer insisted on doing it a much different way. Um, and also the, uh, our guitar player, Alex, was Ill, ill at the time when we were making the record. So that made things very difficult. So he had to come in and, and sort of play his parts over everything, you know, quite, quite a, 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 a bit of time had elapsed before he was able to get into the studio and do that. So it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty tough. Um, but you know, we got there, and then uh, the, the album after that, Alex was kind of more or less unceremoniously kicked out of the band, which he didn't deserve to be. Uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I, I think that was a massive mistake, um, and uh, it put heaps a huge amount of pressure on me because then. I sort of had to step forward as the guitar player in the band as well as as the singer. Um, I, you know, I was fairly capable, but still, you know, I knew that he his absence would leave a big sonic hole in what we were doing. So I had to really kind of figure out how to fill that, you know, um, which was was you know easier said than done. So, so yeah, so it was pretty um, it was pretty difficult, you know, <laughs> doing that. <laughs> So when um, when you because um, then you, in that time you'd also done two John Peel sessions and do you, were, yeah. you, were you touring much as well? We did a little bit. I mean, we did a, you know not as much as we would have liked. I mean, the thing was we didn't manage to secure an agent, um, and so we we ended up mostly booking tours ourselves. Um, I mean, we did play around the UK. That that you know some really 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 tough gigs. Um, you know, and, and very, you know, very poorly attended. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, I remember at the time was I think that there was a, 
the, the goth scene or what was left of the goth scene in, in that those days really tried to embrace us. Um, but we very much deliberately kind of, you know, rejected it, you know, and rejected being put into that category um, and did everything we could to try and sort of alienate anybody that came to see us from that scene. <laughs> um, in retrospect, I don't think that was very wise, you know, um, and uh, I think it was just an element of, you know, cocky young so-and-sos, you know, trying to, uh, you know, um, alienate people and be cooler than cool. And uh, it was probably a mistake because there was an audience there that, that you know, really did want to embrace us, you know, Um but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, and the weird thing was, was that, you know, we ended up kind of, I suppose, signing to beggars and then, you know, the way that I presented myself, despite not really knowing anything about the goth scene, we, you know, we ended up getting comparisons with, with bands like Bauhaus, you know, and it was kind of like, well, I've never even heard a Bauhaus record, and that was the truth, you know, and uh, a lot of people didn't believe me. They said, really? And I was like, yeah, I've, I've you know, I think I might have accidentally heard Bella Lugosi's Dead and their version of, of Ziggy Stardust. I, I really don't know their music, you know. Um, and uh, and it was kind of weird. A few years later, I ended up going on tour with them, uh, Peter Murphy in America. Um, I ended up opening for him when I was doing solo stuff. Um, yeah, I think it was 2001 or 2002. And uh, But yeah, I, I, I didn't really... I didn't really get it. You know, I, d I didn't get that whole scene. I, d I didn't understand it, but, um, but yeah, so that was the, um, yes. yeah, just one, one of the mistakes we made, but yeah, we toured Europe as well. Um, we booked our own tour of Germany and where did we go? We went Germany, Switzerland and, uh, Benelux, I think, you know, Belgium, etc. Um, and we did some touring with Placebo as well. I, I remember we, we we opened for them a few times. They were friends of ours, um, and we yeah we did a few dates with them, um, we, which was great. You know, it was nice to play to an audience, actually, <laughs> any kind of audience. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I mean, it, you know, even that European tour we did um, was was you know it was, it was hard hard tough gigs you know and um and unfortunately yeah we had a few days off and you know we, we were lucky we ended up staying at some squats in switzerland and uh, a couple of other places in germany and um you know so people looked after us so we did we ended up not losing too much money but yeah i mean it was it was hard touring you know the kind of thing that yeah you know even as a young man you would find a slight struggle <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you need alcohol and drugs to get you through it you know um yeah i, I, I don't think i could do it now put it no, that way. <laughs> it too... so when you were making that last album in the cold light of morning did mm. you was it an atmosphere of um this is this is not going this is going to be kind of the end rather than the beginning of the well no but i mean that that album that album was more like it, it felt a bit more like a bit of a new beginning once once alex had gone it was kind of like okay there's a lot of pressure but you know let's try and do this and i feel like i did really step up to the plate and and did my best you know to 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 uh and 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 i think the record in relative terms to the first one did quite well you know and um 
you know, we, we were, we were, you know, we had a bit of momentum, I suppose. But um, uh, what actually happened was after that, we, we made another mini album um, uh, the following year. We went to Rockfield Studio in Monmouth, the, you know, the famous kind of... Yes, um, everyone. Yeah, we, so we went there with a producer called Hugh Jones who did um, uh, uh, Echo and the Bunny Man. I think he produced Ocean Rain. He did a, a few other things. Great, great producer and a lovely man. And um, the band was very, very fractured by that point. What happened was that we were we we'd done a bit as as a three piece on the second out on in Cold Light of the Morning. Then my brother joined the band as an extra guitarist, so we were back to being a four piece. And we went to Rockfield, and it should have been great, you know. And actually, the recording is great. It's not up online anywhere for some reason. Beggars didn't hasn't uploaded it to the the various digital platforms i'm not sure why but um it's you know it's a really great um mini album you know it's something i'm I'm actually probably as more proud of it than, than anything we did you know in some ways but the recording and the writing of that was absolutely horrific <laughs> It was like, it should have been great. Obviously, you go into Rockfield and it's like, how exciting, you know, blah, blah. Um, but it was really, really tough. And, and um, the band was, was really fractured at that point. And I don't think it was ever going to get any better. So the atmosphere while recording was 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 really, really difficult. Um, and uh, we did a little bit of touring. I remember one particular night coming back from, I think it was, uh, we did a, a, a couple of dates up north, um, Doncaster and Hebden Bridge, and maybe one other place, I can't remember. But we were driving back down the motorway after, I think it was Hebden Bridge, I think we played at the, the Labour Club there, or the Trades Club or whatever it is. And um, and we were coming back in the van, and um, all hell broke loose, basically. It was, you know, it was, yeah, the... the the typical kind of uh, uh, a big argument kicked off in the back of the van and fists were thrown and all sorts while, while tearing down the motorway. <laughs> uh, everybody very drunk. Um, yeah, but pretty bad. And, and um, I think we actually went into the studio after that. That was what, what was, what was remarkable. <laughs> this, <laughs> this huge thing where it was like, it was like how are we going to carry on after this? Um, we went to Rock, Rockfield, did the recording, and I think you know there was some hope that maybe we could salvage something from it. But I, I just knew, particularly it was it was, it was the you know the, the uh, Lawrence and Andrew, the drummer and the bass player. Um, th- there was no way that they were going to work together again. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like I don't want to point fingers or anything like that. It's kind of like just feels like such a long time ago so you know it's but it yeah it just it, it is what it is and that's the way it goes but um finally what happened was we there was some talk about doing well we'd actually had some dates booked to promote that mini album uh the bass player andrew was finally uh pushed out uh, mostly, I would say, by the drummer <laughs> Lawrence, and uh, and then Lawrence left me standing uh, on the morning of the tour. We, we'd planned to go out as a three-piece with my brother, 
and uh, on the morning of the tour, he basically phoned me and said, I'm not going. So I was basically left to do the shows on my own. Um, and uh, I basically, I did them, you know, I did them as just me. Um, there were, there were, I think there were three dates, one in Manchester, Leicester and, um, and London. Um, and that was that, you know, and um, that was the end of the band. So that our last tour was effectively me standing on stage trying to do our back catalogue with just the guitar. <laughs> um, and then there was one, <laughs> you know. So it's um God, that's, yeah, a, that's, pretty, a, that's a classic, isn't it? Yes, that was, um, that's yeah. quite a story, isn't it? Yeah. me. And was that the last time? I mean, you worked with Alex again, but was that the last time you saw yeah. Andrew and Lawrence? No, no. I, I, me, me and Andrew have stayed firm friends, actually, since then. Um, we did have... We did have a few months where we didn't talk after it, and then we we did get together and chat about it, and you know did did the old sort of post analysis and try to work out what happened. Um, Lawrence, I don't speak to. I, I I have you know, and we did we did communicate a lot afterwards, and and I I felt like maybe we were we we had a chance of remaining friends, but I don't know what happened, and you know without sort of being you know, personal or, or anything like that. I don't really want to kind no. of get into slagging him or anything like that, you know, no, no, but no. just suffice to say, I mean, it just, yeah, we, we, you know, for one reason or another, we, we don't talk anymore, but yeah, you know, I'm still, yeah, like I said, still phone friends, still, I, I, Andrew moved down to New Zealand a, a few years ago. So obviously I don't see him that much, but we still communicate. And when he does come back to the UK, we still manage to see each other. And and yeah, like I said, Alex, we've been working together. Um, uh, yeah, you know, quite recently. So um, yeah, and we're hoping to do another record together. Um, so obviously, and, yeah, and, and and Patrick, who's my brother, who was the the the, the um, who replaced Alex in the band. Uh, obviously, I still see him. We've made music together as a band called Miraculous Mule in the last few years. Um, which has been great. You know, we've we've done quite a bit of touring and and um, have made uh, three albums, um, and yeah, it's been all right. You know, so so that's sort of still going. We're still doing stuff, um, and I'm doing solo stuff as well. So yeah, it's just trying to keep busy, really. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yes, I was just thinking that Cliff Richard song. We don't talk anymore, but. Um... <laughs> 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 but but obviously, because a lot of people after that kind of experience, I always remember watching one of those documentaries where Stuart Copeland from the police, they'd reformed and obviously there was a lot of money involved, but he was saying mm. that everybody was having a good time apart from him and Sting. So they had to have band therapy to sort of cope with the, the rest of the tour. I mean, there was a lot at stake, I think right. a lot of money. So I think it was like... Let's just try and enjoy it. So band therapy did help them. And he said, you know, I'm not sure if they're friends, but they, they at least sort of cope with the rest of the tour, which I think everyone was oh, yeah. relieved with. So did you feel that it could have, if you had band therapy, you could have um, sort of prevented <laughs> some of those issues that came up or was it I, just not, not? I don't think so. I think that, you know, the thing is, is that I, as well as that, you know, there being those kind of, resentments and personality clashes and everything else the thing is is if you it wasn't just that you've got the world against you you know what i mean you feel like basically you know i remember describing it to somebody that you know sometimes we'd go on tour and then when you are there and you're you, you turn up at a venue and there are 
you know literally less than 10 people there you know you feel like you're you're you're, you're pulverizing the void <laughs> you know you, you're going on and you, you you know we i mean we we made a huge sound as well live you know and we were playing to, to nobody i mean and it, and it that that as well destroys you you know um and i think that leads to people picking you know you pick yourself apart because you feel like you know there must be a reason so you start looking for reasons and you know your own personal insecurities start to eat away at you and then you start attacking each other you know i think that's part of it you know it's 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 very hard to keep faith you know and um um and and believe that you're doing the right thing you know um so yes. yeah so th- th- there's so many different factors that come into it um maybe you know like i said maybe if if we were in a position where we were playing to you know packed houses then maybe yeah maybe band therapy could have helped but um but then you know i doubt that as well because you know the 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 the, the path to rock glory is littered with with the bands who you know were, were on the cusp of doing very well or, or were actually doing very well and just couldn't sustain it because they couldn't stand each other's guts yes. you know well it's interesting because yeah. it was um i did an interview with fast eddie from motorhead and um he yeah. was saying that, that they they're one of them but there was a few problems that were happening towards i think the third album that they did is that 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 lineup yeah. and it was when they went on tour and they had an album that they were they'd done, but the l- label hadn't brought it out or hadn't released it yeah. on this tour. And the drummer Phil wanted to play the album, so they went out on a tour playing the album that none of the audience knew, and so right. all the all the gigs were really flat. And I think you know it's interesting because you're the only other person who's mentioned this this experience of like coming off and sort of having literally fights about, look, let's just play the hits, what the fans know, because yeah. we're, we're playing material that the fan hasn't known because the record label hasn't bought the, you know, hasn't released yeah. the album. So your solo, I mean, has that sort of felt like a um, kind of kept your love in music? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what happened was after the band split, um, actually towards the end of the band, I'd, I'd recorded a solo album, um, which beggars had paid for. And uh, and uh, the band split up and the album was done. It was finished. Um, so Beggars just said, well, do you want to release this? Um, and uh, we'll sign you as a solo act. Um, so I did that. I did three albums with Beggars. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was it, you know, good, good times, really. I, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't go that well, obviously, but... Um, got a lot of sort of critical acclaim but no um no traction really in terms of sales or touring or anything like that um so yeah so it was a you know it was a good time and and then i just stopped doing stuff for a while and then did another couple of albums with a german label called glitter house um uh when was that about 2007 maybe something like that yes um so yeah so i've sort of been keeping my hand in and, and trying to um trying to to keep going but yeah i mean it's more of a it's you know i don't i don't think of it as a career anymore i just i take care of my little girl actually that's my main gig at the moment <laughs> so, you know doing that um but yeah and then sort of snatching the time to do music during evenings and stuff like that so um so yeah so still plugging away but yeah it's just um yeah just a a, a little less um um I wouldn't say a little less seriously, but a little less 
earnestly maybe i don't know <laughs> yes so what would you yeah. what would you say to a, an, a sort of an 18 year old self kind of starting out that you think after all these decades of sort of doing various stuff and all that, those experiences in the back of a van, um, you would mm. say to, to somebody, you, you know, or yourself, you would think, God, if I could just whisper that one thing or two things, you know, those kind of, mm. even if that they might ignore you, just think, just listen to this kid. Yeah, I've got it. Probably listen, just, just listen, <laughs> you know, listen to advice. Um you know, sometimes it's it's hard to weed out, you know, bad advice from good. But, you know, just try to listen and try to consider things. Don't think that you know all the answers. And, and um, you know, um, sometimes when people try to give you advice, it is coming from a, you know, a good place um, and and from wisdom. You know, um, and that's the thing we 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 uh, as as young people you dismiss the advice of older people at your peril i think you know it's it's hard because you do want to you know you want to be a rebel you want to turn around and say oh you know you don't know shit old man you know and all of that kind of stuff but truth is is that um you know that a lot of the time uh, older people do have <laughs> good insights into this stuff so it's worth listening yes. um I mean, it's it's funny. I remember um, uh, Nick Marsh from Flesh Flesh for Lulu. Um, you know, I knew I knew Nick, and um, he would try and back in the days in the Bull and Gate. He was, you know, Flesh for Lulu's sort of heyday had passed, and he was, you know, doing a couple of other bands trying to get going again. You know, and um, and he used to be really, really, you know try to be really helpful and give good advice to me and the band and, you know, other people, you know, because he'd been there, he'd seen it, he'd done it, you know, and, and uh, he passed away, you know, um, a, a couple of years ago. And I, I just remember saying to somebody, well, yeah, I just wish that sometimes I'd listened to what Nick had told me back in the day, you know, he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it, that, that would be the only, real thing really is maybe yes. yeah listen <laughs> are you sometimes amazed when you look at certain bands that are sort of thinking of people like you two or i suppose mm. the stones and think god how did they how did they manage to do that you know not only yeah. be with each other but releasing albums doing all that touring after all these decades do you sort of find that quite amazing that they haven't i i, I do and i mean I kind of, I must admit, it's it, to me, it feels very much against um, the nature and the, and the real business of of being a band to go on that long. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, for everything I've said, in some ways, you know, Dream City Film Club's kind of existence and career, you know, is almost as it should be. You know, you get to do your two and a half albums or whatever. You know, I think doing Beyond Three, it's hard to think of that many bands that did more than 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 you know three or four great albums. You know, um, so maybe it is only right that bands do stop off a certain <laughs> amount of time and let the let the next ones come along. You know, I do find it mystifying that you know you two are still going um, and that um, that Coldplay have been existing for so long it seems you know now um it, it's incredible but but you know i mean good for them you know i don't i don't begrudge them any kind of 
um, you know, their, their success good for them, you know. But but in terms of the music that I like it, and and the bands that I like, they're not supposed to go on and on and on, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I think it's only fitting that you kind of say your piece and get up from the table and let somebody else sit down, you know. Yes, this is true. Yeah. I know. Well, I'm, I mean, I have to confess, I was a huge Smiths fan. And when they yeah. when they split, I was... I suppose a bit disappointed at the time, but then now looking and you think actually you left, you left a good body of work, you know, and perhaps that next album wouldn't have been that amazing and perhaps that next musical direction. I mean, it could have been, but you kind of think actually it was pretty extraordinary what you did in five years and, Mm. you know, you didn't, you didn't bring out some real duff album. So, you know, so, um, yeah, but it's, it's kind of weird being, being always, you know, I never played music, but being a fan, you often think, God, it must have been amazing to have had all those experiences. And then you sort of hear the stories and think, God, it's not, it's not an easy gig, is it really? You know, it's not not really, (laughs) but I mean, there are great, obviously there are great moments and there's stuff that will live with you for the rest of your life, you know, good and bad, you know, um, that, that's the thing they are they are very and and it's you know for many of us it is those things that happen in your kind of former if he is you know where you're you know it's like you're, you're not fully who you're who you're gonna be you know when this is all happening to you um and yeah and and you know as i said the whole advice thing and all of that hindsight's a beautiful thing but you know we we, we were just kids so i, I guess you just you got to cut yourself some slack. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I suppose and in a way, I, I often think, you know, I wouldn't really want national service to come back, but I think yeah. it's good that people have that, that experience where you just, you have quite an amazing experience, which is like a real step between being a teen child to being an yeah. adult. You know, you, you know, once yeah. you've gone through an experience like the band and you've had yeah. your sort of amazing ups and amazing downs and then all walk away thinking, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't want no, to think exactly, about that. Yeah. I don't want to think about that for ten years, and then you eventually do, and you say, "Oh, actually, it wasn't too bad." But it does leave, you know, it does often leave a few people a little bit sort of angry, doesn't it? For a while, yeah, yeah. until until yeah, things, sure. until you move on, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah, that's for sure. Anyway, for look, sure. Michael, thank you ever so much. Thank you. And uh, thank yes, you. when I'll, I'll put this out, um, I'll send you a link so you can listen. Yeah, to let it. me know. Yes, but Brilliant. look, best of luck, okay. and um, uh, yes, and I hope it all goes well this year. Yeah. Stay safe, as we say. Yeah, you too. Stay well. All right. Okay. Yeah. Nice okay. One. See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Michael J. Sheehy one-time member of the Dream City Film Club and now has got various solo projects about, so you can find those probably on Bandcamp, Facebook, all that kind of groovy stuff. SoundCloud, just check it out. Anyway, Google, that's the main, that's the sort of term that we use now, I think. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And also, these have all been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. That's it. End of. Have a great week. Stay safe.